Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontefract. Today in the house, Hannah Elsocker. She's Vice President in Corporate Development of Direct Investing and M&A at Adobe. Furthermore, Hannah is also the Board President for the Adobe Foundation, which creates positive change through the support and creativity and digital literacy, social equity and opportunity, and active engagement in the communities in which Adobe lives and works. Hannah has had a very interesting career path. Previously, she served as Adobe CEO's Chief of Staff before leading the company's corporate development, direct investing, and M&A strategy. She's helped to advance new growth areas for Adobe through acquisitions and post-merger integration of companies, including but not limited to Workfront, Frame.io, and ContentCal. Today, we're here to talk a little bit about Hannah's career path and her take on what she calls her leadership mosaic. Hannah, welcome to the show. I think it's fair to say that you've had a non-linear career path that itself has helped shape the way you lead. So first, I was wondering if you take us a bit back in time through kind of your career stops and how they've helped you to a point where now, obviously you're in charge of a pretty big portfolio over there at Adobe. Dan, first of all, uh, that was a very generous introduction. So I appreciate that. And, and thanks for having me on the program. It's, it's a pleasure. Um, you know, I love this idea of the leadership mosaic. And I think this ties in really well to the idea of this nonlinear career path, because I'll give you a little story. A few years ago, my kids and I actually made a mosaic on our garden wall in the backyard. And um, that took a lot longer. It was much more backbreaking than I had anticipated. <laughs> we did finish. But what I noticed in that physical um, mosaic was that we were able to bring together lots of disparate materials broken ceramics, colored glass, natural stones, and put it all together. And honestly, when you're up close on working on it, you can't actually appreciate the beauty of mosaic. You have to step back quite a way. And when you gain the perspective, the impact and the beauty of that mosaic can strike you. And I think about that as a great metaphor for so many things in life, but particularly on, on a professional level, which is if you tie together a lot of the experiences, your life, you know, the life experiences I've had, the setbacks, the mentors, you know, the skills, the education, that all ties together into what I call my leadership mosaic. And yes, the nonlinear uh, stops along the way really built a very deep kind of toolkit, if you will, a, a broad set of skills that I have that I bring with me uh, as I go forward. So um, I'd love to explain you know, some of the themes in, in the leadership mosaic and, and maybe give you some examples of those nonlinear moves uh, that I made along the way. Five themes uh, that I think of in my own personal mosaic are, one, strike risk from your professional vocabulary. Secondly, make sure you use your head and your heart when you make decisions. Um, the third thing is really build the learning agility muscle. And then the fourth is diversity of thought and experience. Like I'm a product of that. So I would say foster that in your own life and in your teams. Last thing, not the least, pay it forward. Mm -hmm. So we were, we're all products, right? Of people who invested in us. And I would say those are really the themes that that resonate for me in my in my leadership mosaic. My gosh, I love it. Well, let's let's dig into at least a couple of these. We've got some sure. time. Um, one of them, head and heart. Now I've uh, written extensively about how leaders ought to be uh, far more empathic 
than perhaps uh, we think they are and they, they, they really should be. Now, empathy, at least in my definition, is threefold. Uh, there's cognitive empathy, which is putting your head inside of other people's heads. So you're kind of intellectually thinking about what they're thinking. Uh, and then so head. And then uh, emotional empathy, of course, is heart. So you're kind of feeling what people are feeling. And then the third one is some call it compassionate empathy or sympathetic empathy. So, you know, using your hands to, to help people through. So tell me a bit about why that's such an important part to you and your leadership mosaic head and heart. Yeah, you know, and, and this is a, you know, I'm trained as a mathematician from MIT. I'm a computer scientist. So, of course, I love logic. I love analytics, you know, those types of things. But I think you have to do your homework, do the analysis, connect the trends, right? This is the business that I'm in. But equally important is this idea of being attuned to your environment and utilizing your intuition. Um, this is something you have to hone. And this is something you have to build. And many times, business decisions require you to take a bit of a leap of faith. So whether it's in a career moment or it's in a business decision moment, you have to be willing to take imperfect data and move on that. And, I, and I'll give you a great example. You asked about my career stops. One yeah. stop was at Avon. And I worked for this legendary CPG leader, Liz Smith, um, incredible leader out of craft. She ended up becoming the CEO of Lumen Brands. And I remember she pulled me aside. I was running strategy, uh, had come out of McKinsey. And she said, Hannah, I'm going to put you in charge of the North America sales turnaround. And I can vividly remember looking at her blankly and saying what she already knew, which was, Liz, I've never run anything. I've, I'm a mathematician. I'm a consultant. I'm a programmer. I'm a banker. And she actually said to me, you know, I've seen something in you. I think you can do this. And let me give you a really good tip. You're never going to have enough data. So forget everything they told you about in consulting, about, you know, analyzing yourself to death. You have to move on 10% of imperfect data. And you have to be okay with that. Um, and then, you know, she went on to encourage me, like, you're going to make the mistakes. Most of them you can undo. I've got your back. So she really taught me lean into those intuitive decisions. Uh, mm -hmm. Don't just go with the head, which you know is a lot of what people think about in business, but there's an intuition portion of that. And it has to do with the people, right? Walking, walking in their shoes, but it also just has to say, connect the dots and make the leap. Mm -hmm. So that's what I think about from a head and heart perspective. Now, another one of those, by the way, which is fantastic, um, was pay it forward. So how does that play a part in you know the way in which that you believe your your leadership actually uh, comes to fruition when you are leading others. Yeah, and I, I think this ties in, pay it forward ties in to both striking risk um, and, and learning agility. I mean, they all kind of work together as a mosaic often does, but let me just back up for a second and talk about how I think it's important to model who you are. Business is uh, apprenticeship. So if you think about the concept of striking risk from your professional vocabulary, and that is something that I've, I've modeled kind of throughout my life, every situation, you need to reframe them away from risks or bets into opportunities that have their own unique mix of positive and negative considerations, right? That puts you in the driving seat versus things that are happening to you in the environment. And I would say like, don't accept the phrase you can't. That is something really important to me, which is, you know, 
maybe because I grew up in New York, as we discussed, it's it's the New Yorker in me. It's, it's my father's <laughs> example of hard work as a first-generation immigrant who gave us lots of opportunities. I never internalize that there are limits to what I can do. And so, you know, if somebody doubts me, that's what the kids call the haters now, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just I channel that into motivation, and I just say I'm going to double down. I'm going to really push through and and succeed. So, I like to think about paying it forward as one, like just living your true self through some of these, some of these uh, mosaic ideas, and then the paying it forward part is about investing in others, right? I mean. Mm. We've been invested in. I'm sure you, you've had people who've mentored you or taught you something. Um, I think we owe it. It's the right thing to do. We owe it to everyone in our ecosystem to teach. You know, well, just as we're learners, I talked about learning agility. You have to both learn, but you have to give mm-hmm. as well. And so part of that pay it forward is I think about my where I am now in my career. Um, that's a moment where I think leadership at Adobe paid it forward, right? Each of them, Sean Chanu, Gloria Chan, our people officer, and Lunas, they all talk about how somebody took a bet on them at Adobe, put them in a job that perhaps they were not the perfect resume for or had not done before. And they didn't just thrive, they succeeded, right? Like they they did an incredible job. And so there's a, a culture at Adobe of giving people opportunity, putting them into roles. So now I sit leading, as you said, one of the best corp dev teams in our industry. And I'm not your typical corp dev leader. I have a very different resume than most. And so I think that is an example of how it was paid forward to me. That's happened many times in my career. And so I work on mentoring and coaching in real time folks on the team. Fantastic. Now, um, one of the, well, I want to talk about three of your roles, so not just the corp dev role, but the one prior to this, many people, uh, I I believe as a recovering executive from high tech and telecom, misunderstand what chief of staff means to the CEO. So could you dispel both the myth and sort of provide some candor as to what actually goes in and amongst being a chief of staff and then some of the leadership perhaps abilities and skills that you built up as a result of that particular role? So that's a a great, I mean, a great story of coming to Adobe. Um, For many years, actually, I was in conversations with different uh, teams at Adobe, our executive recruiting team, the best, the best in the, in the industry. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, I, I, another, another part of my day, take the call, right? So when somebody calls you, take the call because you don't know where it's going to go, especially when you're happy, that's the best time to take the call. Uh, And so I, I always took the call. And when I walked into the Adobe offices the first time, it was the wrong job, but wow, the culture struck me. Mm. And I realized as I did more research, did my homework, that um, it was a unique place. It was a leadership team that had transformed itself multiple times, same leadership team, not agitated by somebody else, like one of these activist investors. No, that leadership team, they were looking and putting dots together and they said, wow, we have to go to the cloud. We have to get out of shrink wrap and take ourselves to the cloud. We have to expand into digital experiences. So that was the team that I was starting to meet. And so this is back to head and heart. Sometimes it doesn't all add up. I was leaving a really great role, right? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I had been a COO at eBay running markets, uh, yeah. various markets for them. But um, at Adobe, they, they said, look, we can't figure out exactly where to put you. So we're going to create a role for you. And... Logically, you might say, 
right? Wow, if you don't have like a formed uh, job description, perhaps you shouldn't do that. But when I met Sean Tanu as a CEO, when I met the leadership team, my hiring manager, Gloria Chen, the heart part of you kicks in, the intuition part of you kicks in. And they said, we're going to create a role where you're, you know, Sean Tanu's chief of staff, you know, run his office of the CEO, be part of the day, of the weekly and the daily leadership team meetings. And is that something you'd be interested in? And so I left, right? Took the leap of faith, head and heart to go in. Um, I think the chief of staff role, uh, Dan, has to do with the chief, right? It's very much defined by the CEO themselves. And right. so Sean is a very um, unique thinker. He's a very unique CEO. And so the way he interacted with his chief of staff was very much like a partner. Yeah. And then again, that speaks to the Adobe culture. Um, it's not very hierarchical in that sense. It was very welcome. It was very welcoming into the role. So part of it is connecting dots. I think you have to listen really hard. You have to read everything that's going on. And then you're in service to the CEO. So you're thinking about what is the agenda? What is most important for him to get done with all the constituents, the board, the employees, the shareholders, you know, there's the press, all of these different things. And you really try to help shape the efficient use of CEO time in that sense. One of the things that struck me one answer ago uh, was uh, without using the word, but speaking about grit and resilience and sort of, you know, uh, a grip it and rip it sort of a mantra to what you've learned in your leadership development of self. Did did some of that come in handy in that particular role as chief of staff and or did you learn another element uh, as well from the role itself that you've carried on now, you know, to the VP, Corp Dev uh, and M&A role? Yeah, so we, you know, we mentioned these five themes in the leadership mosaic. One of them is building learning agility. And I, I think of learning agility as a muscle mm. that you have to work on. And the more you work at it, the better you get. So, of course, you know, from an early age, I've always been curious and interested, interested in people, but also interested in learning. Um, that's an important piece. Being observant is an important piece. The grit has to do with your staying power. But I think the agility and the learning part is how much do you want to understand? How much of the context do you want to observe and take in and connect? I think that's really important if you're ever going to be a chief of staff, because your role is to learn. You're not going to be an expert. You shouldn't try to be an expert in every dimension, but you have to learn enough and be curious enough on lots of dimensions in order to uh, stitch all of those thinkings together. And of course, in the role I sit in now. A year and a half ago, they asked me to take on a role that we talked about, which was nonlinear. Once again, I'm not your typical multi-decade banker sitting in this seat. I'm an operator, right? I was an engineer. Um, and that means that you need to dig in and learn, right? So exercise that muscle again. My teams know I ask questions all the time. I do set the context that I am a question asker and it's not a gotcha type of thing. It's really out of the context of wanting to learn and understand and tie things together. So we have an environment where we set up where we, we can ask and debate the issues, right? That's an important part of grit, resiliency, watching around the corner and catching what's coming next. I love it. Now, speaking of mosaic, not only is uh, your leadership purview and acumen one of uh, allocating out a mosaic, if you will, but so to your career itself, I would argue is a mosaic. So for example, you know, you've also uh, held the responsibility now of board president for the Adobe Foundation. Now, 
sounds selfish, but I, I wrote my second book was called The Purpose Effect, Building Meaning in Yourself, Your Role, and Your Organization. And it struck me that for you and for uh, Adobe, there was a perfect match between your sense of meaning and what Adobe was uh, pushing for in terms of its foundation and the, the greater purpose that it brings to its communities that it uh, works and serves it. So tell me a bit about how you got to that role and what you've learned and what you've extolled, if you will, from a leadership perspective in the in the board president role of the foundation. Yes. Well, first of all, you know, it takes a whole village of people to do the work of um, community and the foundation. And so, you know, I work very closely with Stacey Martinet and Amy White, who who lead these efforts, right? Um, and so I'm just privileged to be kind of with them, right? Along for the ride, but part of it with a uh, leadership team with them. Adobe is a very mission-driven company, right? Mm -hmm. Our mission is to change the world through digital experiences. The whole world is accelerating from a digital transformation. You have to at this point, right? Be digital yeah. first in, in so many ways. And there are so many threads um, into the community, into education that we already play in as part of our business. And the foundation is, is a way to plus that up. And so um, there's lots of specific strategies we have around supporting community, supporting digital literacy, you know, um, access and those types of things. And it's it's been a joy really to work together. It fits so well, as you said, with the Adobe mission. And so um, it's a great part. It's a great part of the Adobe story. Oh, it's fantastic. And so coming back and circling back, if you will, you know, to this current role of yours. So, I mean, when you're vice president of corporate development and direct investing and mergers and acquisition integration, I mean, there is a that's a magnificent portfolio. Having worked for six or seven years in high tech at places like SAP and Business Objects, I, as chief learning officer, I was part of that M&A integration group whenever we were gobbling up these companies. And it's I mean, at times it's terrifying, at times it's uh, enlightening because you're learning about another organization's culture, uh, its go-to-market, its customer employee experience, et cetera. So just tell us a bit about what you've gleaned in this role over the last, you know, I guess almost two years or so. Yeah. So uh, first of all, have a great team. Mm. Okay. So we can, we should talk about that, right? Which is building a really diverse, incredibly high-performing team in corporate development. Um the way Adobe approaches M&A is different than other companies that I that I have worked at in the sense that one, it's very strategy and product led. Mm -hmm. And then the second, almost immediately second priority is the talent, the cultural fit, the people, the leadership. And so before we run spreadsheets, before we do valuation work, we really focus on those two things. The strategy, does the thesis hold? And we beat that up and we can talk about debate, you know, and how we debate those items. Um, but then we also really focus on the people because mm -hmm. this thing, you know, any acquisition, you live with it forever. And a lot of the success, especially in software, we're not buying fabs, we're not buying manufacturing plants, it's hearts and minds. So you need those folks, engineers, Q, QA, uh, sales folks to come in and really buy into the joint um strategy and the joint mission of what you're trying to, to create together. So we do spend quite a lot of time actually in our diligence process, thinking through those two things, strategy, product and technology, and then the people. Gosh, I love it. All right. My penultimate question, and then we'll uh, find out a little bit more about you uh, as the last one. I'm in the throes of uh, researching and writing uh, another book, this one titled Work-Life Bloom. 
And basically, it's taking a sledgehammer to the concept of work-life balance. It suggests that, you know, there's really no such thing as balance. It's what are we doing as leaders to inculcate the right factors in our organization such that people can, you know, operate from work and bring some of those characteristics and factors home? And then what are we doing to develop the self of people so that they basically become, you know, a better human being that those skills can be employed anywhere? You know, it might be the next company, obviously it might be at home or on the weekend. So I'm just curious, what have you learned over sort of the work and life factors through all of these, the mezzanine of career choices and, and stops you've made I, I, I got to suggest that you probably learned a few things between this work and life thing. So do you have any like top kind of hints or tips that you, you have experienced, if you will, Hannah? So I think, again, there's two aspects. There's you, right? You're talking about what matters to you. And then I also think it depends a lot on the team that you surround yourself with. So let's just, have, let's just talk about it. if you want to have, quote, work-life balance or any balance, uh, in, in that sense and professionally, think about the team you surround yourself with and think about the environment that you are going to create. Um, one aspect of my mosaic is this diversity, embracing diversity of experience and thought. There's a lot, you can unpack that in so many different ways, right? One is you and I have different experiences, the different things are important to us. We have learned different things. And so we all mm. bring that to the table. Right. Uh, the other aspect is we all learn and process differently. And so we do, I embrace that as well, which is some of us are like to async, you know, do work versus sit in a meeting and discuss and debate uh, live. And so I think these are all aspects that you have to take into account when you're trying to be outcome driven, which I am, I'm an impact driven leader. I don't try to input, think about the inputs. And I think the idea of, you know, work life in the past was much more about maybe inputs, like how many hours are you working or, you know, how, what are those things? I, I think if you're if you're managing inputs, you're probably down the wrong path. I look at impact. So I have this conversation with many of my leaders, not just because of the pandemic, but prior to that, which was let's let's agree on the goal. Right. And let's agree on the timeline for the goal. And then after that, with all due respect, I don't care when and how you get it done, because I'm at a different stage in my life. The different things are important to me and my family. Somebody on my team may, may find something else important to them. We all support each other in that sense from a team. It takes a lot of trust, right, to do that. But I think that's an aspect of embracing diversity of experience and thought because we all care about different things. Wonderful stuff. Listen, um, this has been fantastic. Thank you. Uh, one sidebar note, in 2008, I did take that call from Adobe. And if uh, my life circumstances were a little bit different during that summer of 2008, I might have actually been able to move down to San Jose and been a part of the what is obviously me now being a very envious um, uh, non-member of the Adobe team. So I'm so glad they have you over there. Uh, Hannah, Thank you for this. Where can we find out more information about you and the work that you do do? Um, well, I mean, obviously on the website um, for Adobe, there's plenty there. We have uh, our IR sites as well. Fantastic, everyone. Um, Hannah L. Soccer, she's the Vice President of Corporate Development, Direct Investing, and M&A Integration at, found at Adobe, I'm sorry. And of course, she's as well the Board President for the Adobe Foundation. Hannah, I've learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners have as well. Thank you. And everyone, it's been another episode of Leadership Now. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Hannah. Thank you, Dan.